Thank you. Oh, I thought you were coming to assist me then, Graham. Tag preaching. Good morning. How are you all this morning? Good. Uh, so we're continuing our uh, teaching series on knowing God. Today's title is Hearing God's Voice. Um, now, I wanted to try something. Hang on a second. Just to, I really hope this works. Look quiz for you to start with. Okay, so I want you to just tell me whose voice this is. Let's hope this works. Mr. Speaker, I can tell the House today that it is my intention to return on the first day after the half-term recess to present our strategy for living with COVID. Who's that? Boris Johnson, well done. So far, so good. I'm sure someone somewhere today will remark that Christmas is a time for children. It's an... Who's that? Very good. Her Majesty the Queen. You're doing well at this. And um, third and finally. Paul made his promises that he would still be with the church through the Spirit. He's no longer present in human form, but by his Spirit. And his promise is that it would be easier and better that way, not harder. Any guesses who that one is? No, that was Pope Francis. <laughs> Very close. Two out of three. <laughs> I couldn't resist. Um, so hearing God's voice, there's, um, I was thinking about, I was, I've, I've been really excited about this, this talk, actually. Um, there's many, many components that identify us as individuals. Um, it's a, I could go on for a massive list, but just, just to give you some concept of what I mean, we've, there's our height, there's our gender, you've got a job, you'll have a particular smile, you'll have a particular fashion taste, which can often be questionable, uh, intellect, sense of humor, and the list goes on and on and on. But one of the most peculiar and one of the most intimate elements of us as individuals can be our voice. Don't you think it's wonderful that we can listen to a voice and we can instinct? you know, kind of instantaneously know who that belongs to. What you say matters. And I think for many of us will realize it's not often what we say, but how we say it as well. We can express fear through our voice. We can express intimacy and passion and anger. Uh, we can question and challenge people using our voice. We can bring teaching to people. We can comfort people. We can abuse and curse people with our voice. And the Apostle James describes the tongue in his letter like a small rudder that can steer a big ship. And he says that we're capable on one hand of blessing God with our tongue, which is wonderful, but we, we can also curse our fellow human beings with our tongue. I can hear my accent coming through, actually. I imagine you'd say tongue. Tongue. Our tongue, our voice is a powerful thing, but it's also highly personal as well. If you use WhatsApp, hands up, if you use WhatsApp, probably most people these days, chances are, if you're, if you're like me, you've got 3,000 groups that you're part of and you get hundreds of messages every day. 
I'm making myself, myself sound really popular, but I'm exaggerating a little bit. But you get all these messages coming through all the time. And I don't know if you noticed that little tool at the bottom, which I've tried to use a little bit more often these days, is you can send a little voice note. Have you come across that? And um, I just think that's, it's, it's a beautiful kind of way of communicating when you're bombarded with loads of messages and then you send this little voice message so you can hear somebody's tone of their voice, you can hear their inflections, the pace of their speech, some of their hesitations and the, the ums. You can, some of the emotions and things carry across as well when we use our voice. So our voice is, is powerful, but it's also highly personal and intimate. It belongs to you, your voice belongs to you, and in some mysterious way, your voice is you. It becomes the expression and the articulation of, of who you are, what you're thinking, your intentionality, and, and how you relate to people as well. And this, of course, is why at the beginning of John's gospel, he describes um, God, he describes Jesus as the word of God, the logos of God. And one Bible translation is actually entitled The Voice translation because it hinges its whole kind of um, arrangement on that one particular theme, that biblical theme. And the, the translators who have compiled this translation, they say this, since logos essentially refers to the act of speaking or bringing thoughts to expression, we have decided to use the word voice to capture that reality. At the beginning of his gospel, John declares that truth has culminated in the person of Jesus. So when we think of the voice of God, the logos of God, we're talking actually about the manifestation of God's will and his expression and his purposes that have become incarnate, that become embodied in the person of Jesus. All that God is and all that God wills is embodied in Jesus Christ. Voice is powerful and voice is personal and we know that the power and the personality of God is found in God's logos, his word, his voice, the person of Jesus Christ. As Paul says in Colossians, a verse I'm sure you're familiar with, for in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of the cross. How good is this? Are you with me so far? Good. So Jesus is the fullness, Jesus is the action of God, and Jesus is the power and the, the personhood, the personality of God. And this is the kind of strap line I want you to, if you don't go away with anything else other than this, that's fine. But here's my take on this this morning. To know Jesus is to know God's voice. And to hear God's voice is to know Jesus. To know Jesus is to hear God's voice, and to hear God's voice is to know Jesus. I was, I was writing this and thinking about this the other day. I was getting really excited. I don't know if you're getting excited. Okay. So our reading this morning is taken from John chapter 10, and it's the parable where Jesus uses two of the famous I am sayings. He says, I am the gate. Some translations say, I am the door. And he also says, I am the good shepherd. And to fully appreciate this parable, I think we perhaps need uh, to understand a little bit more of what shepherding looked like back in Jesus' time. This isn't, have you, have you watched Jeremy Clarkson's farm? Yeah, it's, I think what Jesus is talking about isn't very much like that, really. There's no tractors, corrugated steel sheds, there's no sheepdogs. 
Um, so I'm going to take a little snippet from this book here. Has anybody read this book, The Alchemist? A couple of people. It sold 150 million copies, so I think a few people around the world have read it. Um, it's by Paulo Coelho. Spanish, I think. And the main character in it is a shepherd, uh, a shepherd boy. And I think uh, what I'm just going to read to you now, I think it paints a really nice and helpful picture of perhaps what Jesus was talking about in this parable. So let me read this to you. The boy's name was Santiago. Dusk was falling as the boy arrived with his herd of sheep at an abandoned church. The roof had fallen in long ago, and an and an enormous sycamore had grown on the spot where the sacristy had once stood. He decided to spend the night there. He saw to it that all the sheep entered through the ruined gate and then laid some planks across the door to prevent the flock from wandering away during the nighttime. There were no wolves in the region, but once an animal had strayed during the night and the boy had to spend the entire next day searching for it, he swept the floor with his jacket and he laid down using the book he had just finished reading as a pillow. He told himself that he would have to start reading thicker books. They lasted longer and they made more comfortable pillows. It was still dark when he woke and looking up, he could see the stars through the half-destroyed roof. I wanted to sleep a little longer, he thought. He had the same dream that night as a week ago. Once again, he had awakened before it ended. He arose taking up his crook, began to awaken the sheep that still slept. He had noticed that as soon as he awoke, most of his animals also began to stir. It was as if some mysterious energy bound his life to that of the sheep with whom he had spent the past two years, leading them through the countryside in search of food and water. They're so used to me that they know my schedule, he muttered. Thinking that about that for a moment, he re realized that it could be the other way around, that it was actually he who had become accustomed to their schedule. But there were certain, uh, certain of them who took a bit longer to awaken, so the boy prodded them one by one with his crook, calling each of them by name. He'd always believed that the sheep were able to understand what he said. So there were times when he read them parts of his books that made an impression on him, or when he would tell them of the loneliness or the happiness of a shepherd in the fields. Sometimes he would comment to them on the things he had seen in the villages as they passed. So I thought that just added some color, perhaps to the life of a shepherd. Um, we've got a, a different view of that, perhaps. Um, and just as we unpack this parable of Jesus and, and understanding Jesus himself as the, the embodied voice of God, I want to touch on three things that I think make Jesus identifiable, personal, and powerful, and how we understand God. So these th three things, first, the unique voice of God, the guiding voice of God, and the missional voice of God. So Jesus, the unique voice of God. In Jesus' parable in John 10, we're told of the exclusivity of Jesus, the uniqueness of Jesus as the one true access point to the enclosure of salvation. In that book, in The Alchemist, the boy shepherd, he lays these planks down in the doorway um, to the ruined church to keep the sheep safe and to stop people coming in as well. In Jesus' parable, he describes himself as those planks. He says, I am the gate. I am the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved. So this isn't an all roads lead to God kind of parable. This is an exclusive 
truth claim that Jesus is making here. He's saying that Jesus and Jesus alone are our salvation. And referring primarily to the Pharisees and the teachers, uh, Jesus says that any other means or method is false. And he uses the words thief and robber to convey the idea of, um, of deception or seizing by force. And in, in other words, if, if people are selling to you or impressing upon you a gospel that is anything other than Jesus, it's false. And we're told in verse 10 that Jesus came to the earth that we may have life and to have life to the full. And on the contrary, any other person or organization that's claimed to be the entry point to the gospel of God comes only to steal and destroy. Jesus and Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. And the parable then connects this concept um, to the idea of voice. Uh, In verse 3, it says, The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. And as we read in The Alchemist, that, that little book I just read to you, the relationship between the sheep and their shepherd is mutual. It's a, it's a shared life, uh, one of care and companionship. And the vocation of the good shepherd, Jesus, is, is commitment to his own flock. This mutual existence is where the flock of Christ experiences his familiarity and his intimacy. We have one shepherd. We need to be attentive We need to be committed to his voice, not distracted or lured away by others who seek simply to steal and destroy. And this means lifelong faithfulness to the good shepherd. We're in this for the long run. He offers us fullness of life and eternal security as long as we remain familiar and attentive to his voice and as long as we stay in that safe perimeter of his compound. This is a long-term thing, an uncompromisable relationship. It's exclusive. Jesus is the unique voice of God who saves and restores our soul. So Jesus is the unique voice of God. Secondly, Jesus is the guiding voice of God. And I'm hoping by now you have clicked that the sheep in the parable are us. Everybody got that? Um, I've heard sermons about this in the past, and I often think that sheep get a bit of a bad press. Any fans of sheep? No? So I had a little look online, because I thought, are sheep, you know, are they that stupid? Are they that simple? Um, They are. They are. (laughs) Well, I got some scientific facts. Um, some sheep facts, or shacks, as I like to call them. Uh, so contrary to popular belief, sheep are extremely intelligent animals. They're capable of problem solving. And they are considered to have a similar IQ level to cattle. And nearly as clever as pigs. Does that mean anything to anybody? I don't know how clever pigs are, but they're nearly there. Did you also know that they can remember at least 50 individual other sheep or humans for years? So it's not a fish memory. They've got long-term memory here. And it's probably more than I can cope with, I think. Uh, sheep have been shown to display emotions as well. I'm sure you've all seen sheep laugh and cry. And sheep are also highly dependent from birth. 
but they're also highly sociable animals. And I put in brackets here because I didn't know whether to say this or not. I was going to say, like our own Reverend Rich Johnson. I like a bit of banter. So the Good Shepherd, um, I say these things because I think uh, we can often dumb ourselves down a little bit when we read this, where we just become kind of objects of this parable, um, and it, it kind of detracts away from, uh, from who, who humanity are. And I wear, I wear this is a metaphor, uh, but I think it goes a little bit deeper than just simply writing the sheep off of having no say or responsibility or kind of consciousness. But in, in, um, in this parable, the good shepherd, he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. He goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. In Jesus, we encounter this, this completely new concept of power. And as a result of that, we get this complete new perception of who God is. He's both king and servant, and he's eternally begotten of God, yet we're told he emptied himself completely of power. He demoted himself to come alongside us, the sheep, and lead us back to God. So the authority of the good shepherd, it's not whip cracking, it's not battering with the, uh, with the crook, but actually the good shepherd is gentle. The good shepherd is lowly, he's gracious, and he is kind. And as the psalmist says in Psalm 23, your rod and staff, they comfort me. In the alchemist, the shepherd boy uses his crook uh, to stir and direct his sheep. He pokes them in the morning to wake them up. Um, and similarly, one commentator of Psalm 23 says these words, the scepter and crook of the Lord, the signs and instruments of his mighty kingship are ready to defend and save. You see, the guiding voice of the good shepherd is used to protect and defend and comfort and ultimately to save us. And through God's guiding Voice in the presence of Jesus Christ, we experience peace and we experience rest. He is the one that makes us lie down in green pastures. He is the one who leads us beside still waters, who restores our soul. And so the guiding voice of God in Christ is, by its very nature, invitational. As the psalmist says, the good shepherd leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We are called to be followers of Jesus. He calls us, he leads us out, and he goes before us. And we see this in action through the Gospels when Jesus calls his disciples and um, the, the, the same words that he whispers to us, that he invites us with these same words, come, follow me. The guiding voice of God does not impose itself on us. Jesus does not impose himself on us. Jesus, the good shepherd, calls us and leads us out, requiring us to be humbly reliant and obedient. And in this sense, we're very much like sheep. And I don't know if I found this absolutely incredible, and I think it jumped out at me perhaps for the in a fresh way as I was reading this passage and preparing this time. But, you know, if that wasn't enough, we learn that through Jesus' parable, that we are all called by name. Can you get your head around that? You as an individual, Jesus knows your name. This isn't like sheepdog just rounding up the sheep. This is intimacy. This is God, the good shepherd. He knows you by name. And this obviously means that you're not just a statistic. You are not just another object, inanimate object, which is what I was getting at with the sheep. Uh, you're not just an item. 
You're not just one of billions of human beings that have existed throughout human history. You're not an insignificant blip in the immeasurable expanses of the universe. No, you are known by God. God is the God who sees you. He knows you, and he's calling by name. And Jesus goes as far as saying these words. He says, I know my own sheep, and my own sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Don't you think that is incredible? Because this, is, this isn't a surface-level kind of intimacy. This isn't a, a fragile relationship that has got no depth to it. This, this is oneness. This is unity. This is divine knowingness. And it's relational as well. I just think it's wonderful that what Jesus is saying here is that we have the opportunity to know, to know God in the same way that he knows us. And as the shepherd boy in The Alchemist describes, uh, he says, as if some mysterious energy bound his life to that of the sheep. It's the guiding voice of God in Jesus. This is where all authority and humility collide, and Jesus calls us by name and leads us out. So Jesus is the unique voice of God. He's the guiding voice of God. And finally, Jesus is the, the missional voice of God. Verse 15 and 17 say, and I lay my life down for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. And now we get to a point of difference where the, the glaring difference between the scene that we read in the alchemist and the parable of Jesus is that Jesus is not content with the flock that he's got around him. He wants to enlarge his flock. He knows that there are other sheep out there that don't yet know him. And so his mission is to bring them into the fold as well. And we read this in Luke 19 where Jesus says that he has come to seek and to save the lost. So the voice of God in Christ is the articulation of, of God's mission to reconcile humankind to himself and to renew all things. So the voice of God in Jesus is missional. It has purpose. It has ambition. It's not just static, but it's moving and it's going somewhere. And because the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, it distinguishes him from the hired hand, uh, from the thieves and the bandits who just come to steal and destroy. The good shepherd's love for us, for his flock, is sacrificial and ambitious. And in verse 17 to 18, um, Jesus says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. And I've often wondered what this means. It's one of those things I've heard in passing conversations. It's something I've had quite um, almost conflicting theologies around. You know, people have come from very different angles on this. You know, and this, this is the controversial bit, really. Can, can a good father send his innocent son to die on a cross? Does the father's love for the son depend upon his actions and his obedience? So I was really challenged by this and I was mulling it over. And here's, here's my take on this, if this counts for anything. I would say that the, the love that binds the Godhead together, the father, son, Holy Spirit together, is mutual. 
It's dynamic, it's perpetual, and it's a love that expresses itself in unity and harmony. And so the Father loves the Son because he is the perfect, harmonious manifestation of his own will and his own purposes. In other words, Jesus, the Logos, the voice of God, is the absolute outworking of the Father's plans. And although Jesus has the power to say, no, I don't want to do this, and we see this in Gethsemane, another plug, he commits himself to the will of his Father, and he willingly lays down his life for the sake of the sheep. And we sang that earlier. I wrote these words down as we, as we were singing the song. Bowing to the Father's will, he took a crown of thorns. So this is the missional voice of God in action. Jesus displays perfect obedience to the Father, which is the expression of complete love and unity with his Father in heaven. Don't you think that is incredible? So the voice of God is not stationary, it's missional. It goes forth and it achieves the eternal purpose in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And just as I was thinking about this and praying about this, I remember a few, must be three or four years ago now, we had a hungry meeting on a Wednesday night over in St. Helens. And I remember Rich reading these words out and they've, they've stuck with me for a long time from Isaiah 55. I'm, I'm sure a few of you will be familiar with them. But Isaiah 55, the words of God saying, as, as, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth, and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God's voice goes forth. His word and his commandment come out of his mouth, incarnated in the person of Jesus Christ. And in Jesus, God's desires and purposes are accomplished God's desires and purposes are expressed in his mission through Jesus to redeem and save a people who will not perish, but will have eternal life. One flock, one shepherd. So I'm going to wrap up. I feel like I've been talking forever. The voice of God is unique. The voice of God is guiding the voice of God is missional as well, and it's made known to us powerfully and personally in the person of Jesus. And to those words I said at the beginning, to know Jesus is to hear God's voice, and to hear God's voice is to know Jesus. And just to close, I was really, really challenged by the final few verses here. I think it really shows the effect that the voice of God has upon all of us as upon humanity, and that, that one thing is that it divides, which seems a, sits a bit uncomfortably, perhaps. But some of those who were listening to Jesus thought he was a nutter and a heretic. The other lot thought he was the Messiah, the Son of God. We, there's something in this guy. And it reminded me of these verses in Hebrews chapter 4, where it says, For the word of God, the voice of God, is living and active, Sharper than any double-edged sword, it pierces even to dividing soul, spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And boy, oh boy, do we see that in these verses here. 
And the challenge I want to leave resonating with you here is that the unique, the guiding, the missional voice of God forces us to make a decision. What decision are we going to make today? Have you humbly accepted God's invitation? Perhaps there's other sources of authority in your life you need to depart from. Have you entrusted yourself to Jesus, the good shepherd, to lead and direct you so that you can walk by faith? Are you committed to holiness and watchfulness? And have you given, your, given yourself to sharing in the mission of Christ? Are you telling others about Jesus? Are you helping to serve the church and encourage one another here in the way of faith? Are you contending for justice and peace out in the world? I'm just going to invite you to close your eyes for a second. And before we move on and celebrate communion together, I just want just to leave a moment of stillness. If one word has jumped out at you, um, just to focus on that and dwell on that just for a second. And then Rich is going to come and lead us in a few moments' time. Amen.